Welcome back to the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty. On the Balancing Act, we talk to business leaders and industry experts to explore the balancing acts we play in our professional lives, learn about the events that put rocket boosters behind their career success. Today, we have Teresa Voza joining us. Teresa is the founder at Teresa Voza Coaching and is the former Chief Human Resources Officer at Allianz Partners uh, in Toronto. As a reminder to our listeners, this episode is part of our mini-series on corporate culture. And today we'll be tackling the impact that burnout and stress uh, contributes to a corporate culture. So welcome to the show, Teresa. Thank you, Andrew. I'm glad to be here. Yes, uh, it's wonderful. I'm, I'm really excited about this conversation about burnout uh, and its intersection with uh, with corporate culture. Because I, you know, we talk a lot a lot about burnout generally in the popular press, uh, but we don't make the connection to corporate culture. So I, I think that's going to be very interesting. Before we get started, I ask all my guests this question: Please tell our listeners your story. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm so glad to be here and talking about such an important topic. So I would say to start off that my story is almost one of by accident. And and let me explain. So I spent 20 plus years in, in corporate and I call myself an accidental leader because it wasn't something, leadership wasn't something I ever really aspired to or even felt that I was qualified to become. But I was really fortunate to be surrounded by really excellent mentors and sponsors, both male and female, who saw something in me that I didn't necessarily see in myself at the time. And it was because of that ignition, that spark that they brought forward. That's what I think resulted in me spending over 20 years in leadership and having the privilege of leading both communications, human resources, compliance, even at different times. And then in 2020, with COVID happening, I fell into accidental entrepreneurship, if you will. And so I really got the the coaching and the consulting bug. And I left it all to, to embark on starting my own executive coaching and consulting business, which is what has brought me here today. And I'm so forever grateful for these different pivot moments in my, in my career. Well, I, uh, it warms my heart that you're, you use the phraseology accidental leader, accidental entrepreneur, uh, literally on page five of my second book, I introduced the <laughs> concept of the accidental manager and yeah. how, and the impact that that, uh, has on organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll, uh, I'll be sending you a copy of, of that book as a thank you. So I'll be oh, really, good. I'll good. be really interested in your, your feedback. Uh, uh, Teresa, if you had to pick one event in your life that was just a key accelerant for your career, what would that be? Yeah, I would have to say it was from my acceleration from manager to director early on in my leadership career. We were going through a major acquisition at the time and the outgoing vice president, um, did not want to be part of this big acquisition. And so I was tapped on the shoulder by the incoming CEO at the time. 
And I had no desire to apply for it on my own. Or actually, I wasn't going to apply for it at all. But if I had not been encouraged by this man, as well as the other senior leadership at the time, to go for it, I don't know that I would have enjoyed the kind of success that I have in my executive career or would have had the confidence to then take that knowledge and then transition it into my into my business, into my coaching career. So I would say that's one of the most pivotal moments that really started things off for me in the world of leadership. I knew how to manage, I knew how to lead work and get things done, but the world of leading others didn't really take off for me until I got that tap on the shoulder. Yeah, I... I love to ask this question because, you know, there's everybody has some kind of story like this to tell. And I feel especially warm when there's a story like this where somebody saw something in you that you didn't see in yourself, because that that's my that's my story as well in that that pivotal moment, somebody seeing something in me that, that I couldn't at the time see, but they knew it was there. I didn't. And then together we, we, we found it. So thank, thank you very much uh, for, for telling that story. Uh, this episode is, as I mentioned, part of our mini series on corporate culture. So Teresa, what does corporate culture mean to you? What's your definition? Yeah, I'm um, I'm almost allergic now to jargon <laughs> and organizational jargon. So I really don't want to answer that question and answering it the way I think a lot of people do. For me, organizational culture is a it's a feeling, and it's a feeling that you get when you're in an environment where what matters to you most aligns with the behaviors that you see. So I say feeling a lot more than maybe most other or many other corporate executives, because I think that's what's missing in organizational cultures today is this deeply felt sense of resonance, Uh, being in an environment where you belong, where your skills match and the behaviors match what is important to you. So I very much look at organizational culture as a felt sense of I belong here, and I think everybody else that is here wants to be here too. They also belong. I think that's what makes for a great organizational culture. Well, thank you. You you are uh, episode seven of eight in this mini series. And you are the first to really draw out this uh, concept of the intangibles. You know, if I, I'm a finance guy, so I kind of boil things down to (laughs) financial terms and I'm completely with you on the jargon front. Uh, I, I lived in an organization that ate, breathed and slept three letter acronyms and corporate jargon. And it's, uh, and it's, as an aside, uh, it's very exclusionary. You know, Mm -hmm. you're either in or you're out. So you talked about this feeling uh, of, of the corporate culture. And even that, even the terminology that we use uh, can have a significant impact on, on this feeling that we have about, about belonging uh, so I'm uh, I'm I'm really happy that you 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 took us there. Good, yeah, I think it's really important, and um, 
I think we're going to talk later about neurolinguistic programming, but language is important. And so I really do emphasize often, even with leaders who I work with, that the words you use matters, but what matters even more is the feeling you leave people with. And so I think making that distinction is, well, it's always been important, but I think it's become even more important now that we're in the day and age where people are no longer willing to tolerate workplaces that don't align with or are in or incongruence with what matters to them. So I am glad that you you asked that question and that we called it out. Yes. Words matter. Leaders who want to kind of fast forward, especially in uh, strategic planning exercises, mm-hmm. they want to fast forward past all of the wordsmithing that mm-hmm. is uh, part of the creation of the strategic strategy statements uh, that uh, or the strategy statements you're going to use. Oh, all this time spent on wordsmithing, why is this important? Well, the words matter. So Yes, yeah. yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so, Teresa, uh, one of the headlines on your website is employee burnout. Uh, so I've got a multi-part question for you. Uh, please first help us understand the warning signs of employee burnout. And then after you've hit on the warning signs, if you can come back to uh, and talk to us about the impact that excessive burnout might have on a corporate culture, that would be awesome. Yeah, such a good question, Andrew. So I think, so burnout has so many definitions and, you know, there's the World Health Organization definition of burnout, which I think most of your listeners can go on Google and find out more about. And I'll, I'll, I'll explain what some of those are. And then I'll talk a little bit about the lesser known uh, definitions of burnout that I see in my practice and in organizations. So the official definition is is concerns symptoms related to workplace stress, symptoms that are physical in nature, but they can be mental and emotional as well. But there's a predisposition to more of the physical, so extreme exhaustion, not being able to sleep, um, anxiety problems and mental health problems might come up. It could be loss of appetite. It could be depression. It could be anxiety. Those are some of the bigger ones that I think most people hear a lot about. And the lesser known types of or symptoms that show up in burnout are things like apathy, where you just don't care as much anymore about the work that you do. Or it could be uh, feeling completely low energy, not necessarily depressed per se, which is why it can go go on for so long, but not exactly energized either. You're just kind of going through the motions. And I see a lot of that with some leaders where, you know, what's not talked about as much in the world of burnout is that I think it's also a direct result of being in work that is no longer uh, right for you, or you're working in a task or a role that is completely not within your level of, of comfort or your zone of genius, the area where you most come alive. And um, the role, the, the way it shows up on corporate culture, goodness, I could go on for so long on this question. <laughs> it creates like this disembodied state where you're here, but you're not really here. You know, and some would call that in the official terms like presenteeism, right? You're here, 
but you're just putting in the hours and then you're gone and you're not really engaged in the work, right? So, and we talked about apathy, which I think for sure is a big part of what creates problems in company culture, because then you have people who don't care as much. Their production rates are low. They are mentally checked out. You have people going off on leaves, which then creates bottlenecks because you can't hire fast enough to fill those those gaps. And then what that leads to is a sense of resentment. And you know, you just it just goes on and on. It's a vicious cycle. Because mm-hmm. then that leads to feelings of not connecting anymore, not belonging. You might start to make mistakes at work. And of course, the big one, which I think always gets CEO's attention, is attrition. You start to lose people. And when you lose people, especially in this economy, um, especially with certain sectors, you can't hire them fast enough. I see that a lot in like contact centers where you need a lot of people to answer those phones and they're not staying because the stress levels are so high. So burnout burnout can make or break culture. And I should say it breaks culture. If you leave it alone, and just throw in a yoga class here or there or come, have someone come in and do an EAP workshop, it's not enough. It really has to be managed from a leadership strategy level. And it, it's everything to do with design of work, but also leadership skills and how to coach and listen and direct people um, at work in such a way that actually makes them feel good. Thanks for sharing that, uh, Teresa. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Andy Tempty. Over the past 35 years, I've learned a lot about business leadership and I'd like to share those lessons with you. Ask yourself, how do I create an effective, sustainable management operating system? How do I design smooth workflows to better serve the customer? How do I balance organizational trust with accountability? The Balanced Business describes the practical, step-by-step process you need to answer these questions. Order your copy today, wherever books are sold. And we're back with Teresa Voza talking about the world of burnout and corporate culture. Uh, Teresa, I'm curious about a line in your bio that you're a coach practitioner practitioner in neuro-linguistic programming by the Association of Neuro-Linguistics Professionals. Takes a lot of (laughs) effort to get all that out. (laughs) Can can you help our listeners uh, with a layperson's definition of neuro-linguistics and the benefits of learning more about this subject? Yeah, I can. And I like that we're looking at simplicity here. And and the (laughs) easiest way to explain it is it's, a, it's really a study of the language of the mind, if I had to put it really succinctly. And what that means, it's how we as leaders, as humans, process information linguistically. So earlier we talked about the importance of language. And so in neurolinguistic programming, it concerns itself with how people process information that we usually hear cognitively in the form of words. And then what that leads to. So for example, when we process information in the form of words, that can lead to what we call in uh, neuro-linguistic programming, distortions, you know, cognitive distortions, 
where we perhaps omit certain pieces of what was heard to fit a worldview that we have, or we generalize something that was said based on the way it was said. And these types of distortions or, you know, things that we delete or things that we overgeneralize, for example, that can create a lot of suffering and can really impact how people manage change or have any type of success. So as a coach practitioner, we work with clients to challenge their assumptions and create new meaning from what they are hearing cognitively so that we take it through or not through the filter of the way they were conditioned or the way in which they hear something that is coming through their, their own shaping and in their own way of, of understanding. So, so the way I'm interpreting this is we all walk around with this a whole in this entire inventory of uh, unconscious or subconscious biases that mm-hmm. color how mm-hmm. we uh, how we see the world. And when I say see, I'm not talking about a physical set of glasses. I'm talking yeah. about these glasses that exist over our ears and our eyes and, and our, our senses generally. Mm-hmm. Am I getting that right? That this is yeah. a way to really get after unconscious bias? Exactly. Uh, and another way of putting it is like unconscious drivers, right? So sure. what are those... And by drivers, we're talking about belief systems or what we call conditioned tendencies or CTs. So all that really means is the lens through which we see the world. We all come into the mental model based on our upbringing and things that have happened to us and our experiences and our culture. And so with NLP, we're just helping people along in, in the sense that when it becomes maladaptive and it's getting in the way of your success, we come in to say, okay, let's broaden the scope and start looking at what we're hearing from a new set of glasses, uh, so to speak. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. In uh, in my first book, I talk about the lensing effect, uh, yeah. which is we, we all have a one size fits you set of glasses or lenses that we look at the world through. Um, mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. anyway, thank, yeah. thank you. For, thank you for sharing. Uh, now let's leverage your experience as a chief human resources officer. So if you're a corporate decision maker, likely the CHRO, who's in charge of improving an existing organization's cultural landscape, what's the most important balancing act that you play before diving in? Yeah, there's a lot, but I think what comes to my mind most is listening for what's most important versus listening to the content. So I think there's a big difference. So you know, as a chief HR officer, I often would hear a lot of different employee requests and sentiments. So for example, I might hear, we need more time off. And so my question would be, is that indicative of us having poor policy work? Or is it indicative of the level of burnout or workload that exists in the organization? So when you're listening for content, you're just taking in what employees are saying and you're, it's easy. You just roll it out. Okay, I'll roll out another day. 
we'll, you know, put together a new guideline. But I think when you're listening for the context, you're listening for what's unsaid. You're listening for the deeper meaning behind the request. And I think corporate culture needs leaders who are always have the pulse on the meaning behind the words, the pulse behind the the drama, what is unsaid versus just what is said. So the literal versus the, you know, this more symbolic meaning behind things. So I think the balancing act for most leaders is to really fine tune their listening skills and before enacting a solution, really listen for what's underneath the problem or the request versus just acquiescing or saying no. Like, look a layer deeper. Yeah, and that uh, will take uh, care of a lot of reactionary because uh, reactionary behaviors because, you know, f- the firefighting of, oh, there's a problem, oh, there's a problem, oh, there's a problem without drilling into root cause. Uh, and that's really what you're talking about yes. is getting to yes. root, op- opening the ears, quieting the mind, being mentally agile and searching for root cause. Am I right? Absolutely. And I think that's, um, that's the deeper work I think all leaders need to become more attuned to is to really affect change, whether it's a revenue problem or a culture problem. It's not, it's never really just about what's happening on the surface. You have to go a couple of layers back. So really helping leaders fine tune their critical thinking skills, their question asking skills and their listening skills, I think, are three of the most important future forward skills that I think leaders are going to need if they're going to impact corporate culture in a positive way and their business's bottom line. Right. Well, Teresa, thank you so much for that. Uh, we're going to have a little fun now. I like Hi. to ask a couple of lightning round questions of my guests. Uh, the first one, I give you a time machine. You can send a very short message, 280 characters or so, to an earlier version of Teresa Voza. What's the mm-hmm. message? What previous version of yourself do you send it to? Yeah, this one stumped me, but I'll just go with my gut. I would probably tell my 13-year-old old self to say it anyway. Um, because I think when I think back to that time, there was a smart girl there who had a lot of good and interesting things to say, but there was the fear to say it. Sure. So I'd go back to her and, and just say, say it anyway. Just yeah. have the courage to do it. Excellent advice. Find your voice. Yeah. Especially at 13. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Teresa, we're all works in progress. Uh, What are you focused on right now in your personal journey of growth? Yeah, I think it's the self-regulation. I think that would be the biggest one right now. And I say that in terms of knowing how to meet the situation as it comes. So whether it's dealing with my, you know, two tweens that are in the house right now, and hopefully your listeners can't hear them because I sure can, or it is um, being able to be with the moment when there's conflict, whether it be with a team that I'm working on, working with, or with um, 
or with leadership in general, especially when I'm doing more of that team dynamic coaching is to self-regulate when activated. Because, you know, even as entrepreneurs or even as leaders, we get activated when we hear things that rub up against our own stuff. Uh, So I think it's important to just really continue to, for me, fine tune and um, stay centered and not make it about me, if you will, but instead stay focused on the other. I think that's a lifelong skill, but it's one that I'm particularly working on more in the moment. Yeah, Uh, it's great advice. Uh, What's next for you? Uh, Where can uh, our listeners uh, connect uh, with you? Yeah, I think the best place to connect with me is my website. So Teresa at TeresaVoza.ca or .com. And what's next for me is I'm really doing a lot more organizational work. So a lot more corporate work um, in the area of resilience, which is one of my favorite topics to speak about. So I'm working with organizations right now and helping them build their resilience framework and their resilience strategy because the nature of change is so volatile that leaders are really looking for uh, employees to be resourced, to be able to effectively uh, manage the situation that they have in front of, front of them in a way that enhances them and doesn't diminish them. Right. Well, Teresa, it's been lovely meeting you, talking with you today. I am certain that our listeners uh, derived great value from your insights. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here. Very good. My name is Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act Podcast. You can find us on all the major streaming services. Please like, subscribe, rate, and most importantly, share this public good with your colleagues. We'll see you next time. 